0: Welcome to The Real Life Show, Living with a Chronic Illness. We are your hosts, Cassie and Chelsea. I'm Cassie, a single mom living with a chronic illness
1: who is extremely passionate about living a full and happy life. And I'm Chelsea. I have a passion for helping people to put themselves first and to be the best version of themselves each and every day. We came together to create the Spoonie Hub, an uplifting community that
0: offers resources, guidance, support, and offers you the space to be yourself, be heard, and feel understood. We hope that by providing tips and tricks from experts, we help
1: people with chronic conditions to thrive and live the lives they've dreamed of. This show is not only for those who live with a chronic illness or disability, but their friends, family, spouses, and just anyone else existing on the earth. Our goal is to normalize having a chronic condition by sharing real stories with real people and to show the world how relatable those everyday struggles can be. There's a little something in here for everyone.
0: And a special shout out to our community at the Spoonie Hub. Thanks to your contributions, we are able to provide flexible work opportunities for Spoonies, donate to our nonprofit to help provide wellness treatments for those who need it, and be able to transcribe our podcast to make it more accessible for all. To learn more, visit our show notes. Enjoy the show. Welcome to The Real Life Show, Living with a Chronic Illness. For today's episode, we have another interview with an airy change changemaker. And today's interview is with May Lee Hey. May Lee is the president and co-founder of Atuero, a nonprofit dedicated to increasing access to improved sanitation for people living with disabilities, specifically in underdeveloped areas. She is a mechanical engineer working on NASA's James Webb Space Telescope. And in her free time, she loves to rock climb. May Lee is one of the Airy Changemakers and is passionate about amplifying the voices of persons with disabilities.
1: We, Loved talking to Maylee. I mean, we love talking to all of our guests. We love talking to Maylee because she is doing some amazing work to bring to light an issue that just is not talked about a lot. I mean, I know on our podcast, pooping comes up fairly often and things you do in the bathroom, but it's not something that normal society talks about. And so she is helping create solutions for people living with disabilities in third world countries so that they can go to the bathroom so much more easily and just in a much more sanitary and humanitarian way we do want to give you a little bit of a heads up during this interview it is the real life show Maylee was talking to us on her lunch break so she's kind of in her car slash outside so you're probably going to hear some background cars some birds stuff like that but it's so worth listening to the entire episode just get yeah you don't want
0: to miss any of it yeah
1: it's worth it and towards the end Maylee shares her own health experience with a recent diagnosis of endometriosis so (laughs) there's lots in this interview make sure you listen to it all take a screenshot of wherever you're listening to the episode on tag us and Lee. all of our social medias in the show notes and let us know what you think all right here's the episode and welcome to today's episode of the real life show Living with a Chronic Illness. Today Cassie and I have one of our fellow Airy changemakers with us, Mailey Hay. Hi Mailey.
2: Hi, how's it going?
1: <laughs> so happy that we get to talk to you today. Yay.
2: <laughs> Yay. Yes, happy
1: to be here. Thanks. <laughs> so Mailey, will you start by telling our listeners about yourself and what's gotten to you to where you are today, a little bit about your own history with Seeing individuals with disabilities, your own health journey, and what your project is that you won the Changemaker Grant for.
2: Sure, sure. So, um, as you said, my name is Maylee Hay. I am a mechanical engineer um, by career, and I work uh, on NASA's James Webb Space Telescope at the moment. And the project that I won the Airy Changemaker Award for is called Atuero. Um, recently, we started myself and my co founder, who's named Harry, we uh, found founded Atuero, which Um, The goal is to provide pit latrine assistive devices for um, individuals with uh, physical disabilities who can't squat or stand up by themselves. The mission of Atuero is to improve uh, sanitation for people with disabilities. I know that like throughout the world sanitation, like improvements have uh, been started to really like come about more and more. I know that everyone seems to be familiar with like clean water and how important that is to global health. And uh, recently there's been a lot of global improvement on uh, on the sanitation aspect for improving global health also. So that's kind of the where our mission aligns. But we've found that even though there's been a lot of effort to Improve sanitation um, in underdeveloped areas. The people who oftentimes get left out of those solutions are people with disabilities. Uh, they're just not really thought about when those um, sorts of like latrines are being installed. Well, if if you have a physical disability, a lot of times you're not able to use those or um, if, you, uh, if you're missing a limb, you won't be able to use like the tippy taps or the water sanitation solutions that are the main things that are being installed. So we're trying to focus on how to make those sorts of sanitation solutions uh, be more inclusive
1: for people living with disabilities in those places. Gosh, I love amazing. your project. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know the, the more Cass and I talk to people, the more I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't think that this everyday thing would be Mm -hmm. so challenging for different individuals that have different disabilities because it just, it hasn't been my life experience, which doesn't mean that Mm -hmm. it shouldn't be something that needs to be thought about. And that was one thing that when I saw your project, I was like, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, yeah, those people, like you can't, not everyone can squat over a latrine. I can barely do that sometimes and I'm able-bodied and Mm -hmm. so I, I love that you saw a problem and you're taking mm-hmm. steps to fix it. It's so cool.
2: Yeah, yeah. The, how it started was a woman named Margaret Arech, uh, who is the founder of the Uganda Landmine Survivors Association, was being honored at my university as a woman's peacemaker. And uh, she was asked, like, the simple question, like, well, what was uh, the hardest part to adjusting to life with a handicap? And to back up a little bit, she was... Um, during uganda's civil war she was in a bus when the bus detonated a landmine and she ended up losing the lower part of her right leg um which is an incredibly common story unfortunately um for for people in uganda who are still, the entire area, entire country really is still recovering from the civil war that they had just in the 90s. So um, they have a lot of amputees, people specifically missing lower limbs, which is why we began um, in, in Uganda, you know, and, and when she was asked the question, well, what was the hardest part? She was said using the bathroom because they're all they have are pit latrines. And she wasn't able to use that anymore. So I remember her story was that she uh, had to wait after she left the hospital, where they did have toilets, fortunately. um, She had to wait four days for her father to drive her five hours to the nearest toilet so that she could use it independently because she wasn't comfortable with somebody holding her up while she used the restroom, which is the most common way for somebody with a physical disability to use a pit latrine. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's less expensive there to hire somebody to carry you around and use a pit latrine when you need to than it is to just buy an assistive device at their current prices because they're all imported and they're all like incredibly expensive and hard to come by. So. Uh, When we heard that story, myself and um, the other founder were like, there should be something that we, like, I mean, how, and we just immediately kind of started, gear started going, I guess, as mechanical engineers, like, in our heads, you know, we're like, we should be able, I mean, there should be something, right? Like, they like, some device that shouldn't, you know, that should help this problem, and they Mm -hmm. shouldn't have to go through that. I mean, this should be an easy fix. So we made a seat, the very first um, pit latrine assistive device, and gave it to Margaret and said, like, tell us what you think. Like, this is just kind of an idea that we had, but it, it's just, uh, it folds up kind of like a cardboard box, and she could take it with her. She has a prosthetic, so we made one that, you know, is just really light, and she could carry, and it folds out in, like, one swift Easy step. It all folds up, and then she could use it. It's basically just something that goes in place of a toilet over a hole in the ground.
0: Yeah,
2: and she loved
0: it. So we made a few more, and and then and that's how it started. That's how it started. Gosh, yeah. I mean, like the, I see this always happens. I get like mind blown, and then I can't find my words, <laughs> oh, and I just like, oh. <laughs> I know. But firstly, I mean. I, I would, I like to think that I'm a little bit socially or culturally aware because I do like to like know what's going Mm -hmm. on in the world. But again, like Mm -hmm. this is not something that I would have just right away thought of until hearing, you know, the story of Margaret coming into university, like you said, um, because one just doesn't think about Mm -hmm. that and people having to deal with that. And um, so I think it's just absolutely amazing that it impacted you guys so much so, so that you took action, you know? I mean, that's ultimately what we need mm-hmm. in the world is mm-hmm. when we do hear these stories that impact us and make, you know, uh, have that kind of emotional response and get the wheels turning and then like do something about it. So I just already like right. think that's so amazing that you guys did that and what a blessing. And um, so Margaret has kind of been your tester and she said that yes. what you first <laughs> created was great. And have you... Um, just made more of those. Has the design evolved and changed? Yes, it's
2: evolved and changed a lot. Actually, the first prototype that we had, we were we just built in our garage with what we had there, and it didn't work fantastic. But we started. I mean, that's how that's how ideas kind of start. We were like, oh well, we you know, there's a ton of considerations that. You know, it's, even though it's a very simple device and it's very simple looking, um, some of the design constraints make it actually quite difficult to design. It needed to be low cost, um, portable, easily manufacturable. Manufacturable from like local materials—that was the biggest thing. Was like, okay, well, we know that devices like this exist in the in first world countries. You know, we have devices, mobility devices, even pitlet or like toilet assistive devices for the elderly. You know, here you can pick one of those up at CVS for eighty bucks, right? But you can—it was even more expensive in Uganda because all of them were imported. So, you know, and $100 in Uganda is a lot. Mm-hmm. So nobody, nobody like, you know, can comfortably, aff- not very many people can comfortably afford that. And so we wanted to like make the device something that we could, um, you know, that they could build in Uganda with locally available materials so that the price is kept down enough so people can afford to, to you know, even build it themselves. So. That was a huge design constraint. And then also uh, sanitary, right? So it's made of materials that could be easily cleaned. Um, Most people in Uganda, especially in rural areas, don't have their own pit latrines or bathrooms. They're communal and shared by the village. So uh, that is one of the reasons why they don't have toilets because they think it's really kind of gross to like be sharing a toilet, you know? And that's Mm -hmm. like just the difference in I think even like Eastern and Western worlds too, is, you know, we all have toilets and are used to those and they see a toilet and are like, that's kind of (laughs) disgusting. So um, that's why, that's why it was supposed to be something that was portable that could be like uh, each individual can own one um, and take care of it and take ownership of it. So uh, with all of those design constraints, and we had come up with a few different um, sort of like those box designs. I, we call one the box because it literally just sets up kind of like a box. Um, and that one is hand carryable, meets all the design requirements and can be built for about $10. Wow. Um, so we, we <laughs> have gotten the best. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've gotten the best feedback on that one. And then we also have, variations of the box that can also attach to a crutch because that's the most common mobility device used by um, amputees. So it kind of just attaches just in case they don't you know, have two free hands to carry one and then the crutch and the other. Um, and then we have a couple different walker designs and those serve a dual purpose um, for also being a mobility device so that they can get to the pit latrine by themselves in the first place.
1: Yeah. It's so you, well thought out. You engineers are so smart. <laughs> yeah.
2: It took us a long time, like, especially the Walker designs were really hard. So we've had a few different iterations of those and have gotten the best feedback. This last time that we went to Uganda, um, the, we've actually had some students as their mechanical engineering senior design project uh, come up with a design that's made of metal um so it's actually a lot lighter, a lot sturdier. Um a little bit more expensive but actually easier to make. So uh those can be made for like $30. Mm-hmm. Um and still still I think a lot better than the options that are available there. So
0: That's incredible. That we got the
2: back. Yeah.
0: <laughs> How long have you been working on this? That's what I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, I've been working on this for about, the project started about five years ago. So it's been, yeah, it's been a lot of uh, iterations of, you know, like we go, I've been to Uganda four times. And so we go and we introduce our devices, collect feedback. We also work with vocational schools um, and uh, people that Margaret. She would help connect us with, um, because because of her involvement with her nonprofit, the Uganda Landmine Survivors Association, she had a whole network of people um, helping specifically people who had been affected by landmines um, and their families. So uh, she connected us with several amputees um, who would help us build the devices at like local carpentry shops and stuff and and they would give us feedback about the manufacturability um and say like okay so you know they would i would try and coordinate before we went like okay here's a list of materials we'll need can you let us know like how easy or hard all of this was to find and the cost Mm -hmm. and everything so that we would get, you know, some real data on how much everything costs and then how hard really was it for somebody with a disability to build, produce themselves. That's
1: awesome. Yeah. So many details I would not have thought of.
0: (laughs) I know. Well, and I think one of the most amazing things is that you're trying to make it so that people can make it themselves, you know, with, cause it's not just like, Oh, Hey, yeah, here in the U S we can build it for this and that, like you said, then it's imported and there's all these other obstacles, but just finding the materials, how realistic is it to not only get these materials, but then be able to put it together yourself or build it. I mean, that's just, that's truly like looking at sustainability um, and this, being able to like really help people, you know, I, I think that's amazing. And again, something I probably, I don't know if I would have thought of until you mentioned it at least.
2: Right. And uh, like I was, I think I was talking about our very first prototype. We did research online too about what, what, like materials are available in Uganda. And one of the things that came up was rattan, which is like a bamboo, you know, it's a kind of bamboo. Mm-hmm. So we were like, okay, all right, let's try, you know, making something out of that. And we went to our local uh, tiki hut store and bought <laughs> bamboo. It uh, ended up being that they use like rattan and bamboo in an entirely different way, like almost like a wicker, you know, mm-hmm. on making furniture Ooh. and stuff. So uh, that prototype ended up being horrible. When we, when we brought it, we showed them this, they were like, what is that? Like, yeah, where did that's, you get this material? Yeah. And, the, and so go ahead.
0: Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say that's really interesting because I actually did social media management for a company that made rattan purses
2: mm-hmm. and stuff.
0: And it was all for, yeah, supporting like women being able to be sufficient for themselves. But I, I want to say that was in like the Amazon
2: yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's I mean, there's different rattan is like I think the bamboo esque material that's found yeah, there. But, but it definitely just,
0: looked more like wicker and like um mm-hmm. than thinking of wood, I guess, for bamboo. Yes, yeah.
2: exactly. And that's just the difference between doing like online research in comparison to actually going there and talking to carpenters, you know, um uh there who do this day in and day out and they like they know exactly what you know that's where the most valuable information and like feedback came from too is um people who are used to you know building carpentry and building things there they they had like awesome suggestions too about how to make it more sturdy and what sort of joints they use for for things um and so that's where you know like we definitely cannot take all the credit for the design even because so much of it came from just being there and talking to people and, and them having suggestions, even the users themselves.
1: So did you do parts of this project with other countries besides Uganda or was Zetwero mainly focused on Uganda and providing the services and, and the mobility aids for that area?
2: I mean, we hope to expand, especially now with ARIES help. We want to expand to other regions, but right now we're just operating in Uganda and um, trying to make a, a sustainable model that we can scale because, uh, you know, like right now some of the biggest challenges are that is even if we make them incredibly low cost, there might just not um, – there might still be people who just can't afford it, um, but still need it. So we're trying to come up with a model where we can sell some of the devices, maybe in the larger cities throughout Uganda, and use the profits to um, provide them for people through other organizations uh, to people who might not be able to afford it. And um, that, that, mo- that business model, too, also of uh, having uh, disabled people be the be the ones to build the devices and then also make sure that there's enough profit margin in there for them to become financially independent off of the sales of these as well. We're trying to like, um, independence, you know, achieving independence is kind of at the heart of this mission for, for those facilities.
1: I think it's amazing that you're not only trying to find ways to help them be more independent just in their life, but also, part of your business model is to make sure you're supporting them financially. I Mm -hmm. think that that there's not as many companies (laughs) as (laughs) I think you would like go that extra step to think about, well, who's going to make it? How can we support them? How can we have that go in with the same kind of intention of what the company is founded on in the first place? I know Cassie and I are really passionate about being able to use our platform, not only share stories, but to use our business to be able to give flexible work hours to Spoonies and people that need it. And I think it's, it's always so inspiring to hear other businesses thinking about that next level of not just how do you make profits, but how do you actually use those profits to make the world a better place?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. How do you, like, we definitely wanted to make sure that the, whatever model we came up with ensured that um, the, Beneficiaries of of the project are getting, you know, getting the help that they they need on multiple levels.
0: Yeah, that's that's definitely what also strikes me is the independence that you're offering, and again, the sustainability, like long term, big picture for the world, for your company, for the Mm -hmm. people buying, slash creating, slash using the products. I mean, it's just so well thought out that just like Chelsea was saying, when you have kind of like a business model or whatever, it's like the people who are at the very end of that model are like getting such a benefit. I mean, you know, especially knowing the facts of sometimes I think in parts of the U S especially, it's really easy to forget that the rest of the world is not like the U S and for example, for us to go around the corner to a store and like pick something up or quite frankly, just order on Amazon and it's at your door the next day. That's not the way that the world actually like works as a whole. And so um, I just think that's really amazing because yeah, it's like, what good would it do to have all of these um, devices at like a store, for example, which I know that there's not, it's not the same thing. I just mean metaphorically for those listening, like that's just not reality or realistic for people to be able to go and have that device and be able to use it, but to then have the materials and you know, build it yourself and to have it where it's like able to go on your crutch. I mean, so then it's mm-hmm. just, you're thinking so practically of how it can be used. And, um, I just am, I'm kind of like bowled over and I'm so glad that Aerie gave you money <laughs> to <Yeah>. support this, <laughs> you know, I like Chelsea and I constantly talk about with all the Airy change makers and especially getting to like chat with all of you more on our Instagram and then you know with these podcast interviews too we just feel like imagine how wonderful it was for the airy people who got to do all the interviews and like get to hear all of these stories and projects of people trying to make a difference in the world Like a real difference. I know, it's
2: incredible. Like the people that are part of this, I mean, it's mind blowing the sort of work that these women are doing, including you guys. I I mean, mm -hmm. including, you know,
0: like I know everybody. And it's just like, especially this year, you know, 2020, and, um, The, the positive, like, I just, I almost get in like tears every time that we're all messaging on that, like group message on Instagram. Cause I'm just like, how amazing to be connected with people like you and like everyone else, all the change makers when, how would we even know about this otherwise? Mm -hmm. And then getting to spread the word and spread the awareness. And so, and it's just, it's extra special now getting to really talk in depth with you about your project at how well thought out it is for like the end of the line, you know, the people who are actually getting this product and the difference it's going to make for their lives. Right.
2: Right. And I mean, like that's, that's, I think been the hardest part just because we've been so far, but also definitely the beauty of it and like collaborating. I think the most important thing that we've learned is like how important it is to communicate with the end users and the beneficiaries and stuff because Mm -hmm. I think like I mean I do believe that people are inherently good and everyone has good Mm -hmm. intentions most of the time and everything but we found that a lot of humanitarian engineering projects especially like uh you know engineers are problem solvers so they've come they've like found a solution that they think is great we've we've even done this in our prototyping right with the rattan one too like oh this is going to be so great um But if you don't communicate with the end users, right, who are the people who have the most valuable feedback, and probably, I mean, this is something that they have to deal with every day. So you find that most of them, or we found that a lot of people even had their own solution to this already. And it was definitely less than ideal. But I mean, if it's, if this is something that obviously, you know, everybody has to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. So they've already done this enough times where they know exactly what's going to work for them and what won't. So, like, it's really important to talk to and communicate and have that relationship with the end user um, or with, you know, the person that the people that you're trying to benefit. And I think their stories every time I I went to Uganda, you know, they would or like uh, we would meet people and more people who had different stories that were like incredibly motivating Mm -hmm. for, you know, sometimes I think it, it was, it was hard even to like, I'm trying to figure out a good way to put this. They like, I feel like I would lose motivation some, even after, like immediately after a trip because I would feel So distraught over some of the things that they had to go through being a person with disability in Uganda, like, Mm -hmm. or in any underdeveloped place where there were so many. I mean, I think this issue has gone untouched for so long in some of Mm -hmm. these places because there are negative stigmas not only surrounding people with disabilities, but also like nobody really talks about going to the bathroom. You know, it's definitely like a less talked about. thing instead of like you know clean water is something that got Mm -hmm. a lot of attention first because that's a lot easier to talk about than pooping so Mm -hmm. like there's that on top of compounded with the um the negative stigma around people with physical disabilities there and so like the things that they have experienced even just around going to the bathroom like a lot of them we we passed out surveys and um, talked about, asked one of the questions was, uh, like, have you ever avoided going to use a pit latrine because you didn't want to have to, like, crawl on the floor of these pit latrines, right? And um, a lot of, the most common response was yes. A majority of people said yes. Uh, in fact, like, because because of their disability, they would have preferred to like go into the forest to uh eat, to go to the bathroom or to try and find like a like a safer, um, cleaner spot for themselves, mm-hmm. and that led to one person got a snake bite because they like went into the forest instead of you know like using a pit latrine. Like, unfortunately, this one girl that we met was sexually assaulted because she went somewhere she thought was, like, more private so that she didn't have to be embarrassed about crawling on a pit latrine floor. So, like, those are the sort of, like, heartbreaking stories that in the end it's the reason why I work on this project and I'm so passionate about it, but definitely at the, in like, in some moments I feel so like heartbroken and distraught mm-hmm. about some of their stories that it, it makes me want to throw out my hands for a second. Mm-hmm. Just be like, how can I, like, what can I do really? What right. could I do to help this situation? Mm-hmm. Like what is my, you know, what power do I have really? Yeah. Um, But I guess you just have to like, make sure that you turn that energy into something that's going to help them.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Keep like, keep moving forward in a sense, Mm -hmm. because what you are doing is making a huge difference. Mm -hmm. I mean, and and especially like making them independent. And I mean, that's just awful. That would break my heart too. It would, I mean, even just hearing, you can hear the emotion Mm -hmm. like with you sharing those stories and that it makes my heart break that people have to live in the world that way. Right. Still, so, you know, in 2020.
1: And I think like, Gary, mm-hmm. the fact that you have those moments of like, well, this is such a big problem in your you I think that comes from how empathetic you are for the situation, mm-hmm. which I think is something that needs to be celebrated. And that's because, I mean, I don't know how many times Cassie and I have talked to other individuals, whether they have an invisible disability, they have a chronic condition and people just don't seem to care. They don't seem to get it. And so the fact that, I mean, you're, you walk around with all four limbs and you can put yourself in the place of, yeah, it's that heartbreaking for you. And you're using that to create something that can create a real change in their life. And so I think it's hopefully just, for people listening, it's another example of there are people out there that don't have to be going through the same thing in your life yeah. that can still understand what you're going through and be empathetic. Right.
0: Yeah. Right. That's a, that's a great point. And plus it's like, it also kind of comes down to like, if you don't do it, who's going to do it? <laughs> <True>. Cause <laughs> there is sort of yes. these, mo- you know, there, cause I totally, Chelsea and I have experienced that too, that feeling of like, what can we do? you know, we are just one person, two people, three people. And, you know, especially for you helping a country so far away. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it's like in the obstacles that one has to go through there, there does some, there, there are those moments that those thoughts arise, like, how can I make a difference? How can this happen? Um, But part of what at least drove us forward for sure was like, well, but if we don't do it, who's going to do it? You know? And so um, I think that I'm really glad that you have like stuck with it and kind of like, just like Chelsea said, use that empathy to drive you forward and motivate you. Cause now you're five years in and now you have the support of Aerie. Yes. <laughs> which is, which is incredible.
2: Yeah. It's, yes. it's, it's amazing that it's come this far and it, exactly that. I think like, I get over those moments by being like, that's a me problem. That's like the yes! imposter syndrome. You know, <laughs> nice. That's right. That's what it is. And I, and I have to make sure that, you know, I tackle that separately and not allow it to stop me. from. Can I just say how refreshing
0: thing? it is that you actually just said that? because yeah. that yeah. is like, that is that's the real, that's the real thing. Like it is, yes. it's like, this is a me problem, not a you problem. And then that imposter yes. syndrome yes. of like, who am I to be doing that? Cause I even like said to Chelsea, like, I think your project is so amazing that I even said to Chelsea before today, I was like, I'm kind of intimidated by Maylee.
1: <laughs> she literally did say that before we started recording. Yeah. <laughs> like, it'll be
0: okay. and so it's so funny. And yeah. And then Chelsea was like, we talked to Jamila Jamil, like what's wrong with you? You know? Yeah.
2: Seriously. Talk (laughs) about intimidating. (laughs) I know.
0: And I mean, and that like, that totally happened too. Like I was totally calm before we talked to Jamila. I was like, fine. Like, I kind of, I told Chelsea, I was like, I'm actually like really calm. I feel fine about it. And then literally like two minutes before the camera turned on, I was like, oh my God, I have to nervous pee. I am freaking the fuck out, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And it just like went from zero to a hundred, like real quick, but it's just, it's actually like really refreshing for you to say that because it also just goes to show that like we all experience that no matter what, you know, absolutely. And, um, so I'm grateful for you sharing even that little tidbit of, you know, Mm -hmm. like imposter syndrome or who am I to be doing this? Because it is like fighting through that and past it and not letting it kind of like paralyze you a little bit and get, have you stuck in your tracks where you don't move forward, um, with your actionable steps. Like that's what makes the difference. And I think of like so many, and that's definitely what I tried to like, talk to my son about too, with like kind of that oomph and that like keeping on going is because imagine how many ideas there are in the world that people have that action just isn't taken for whatever reason it might, might be. And just one's, one's own self and one's own mind being that restriction. And, um, yeah, so I'm really grateful for you to share that little time, especially because it's so funny that literally before we got on the call, I told Chelsea, I was like, I'm kind of intimidated by me. <laughs> and now it's like, you're just a normal person, like the rest totally. of us. We're all normal people. Exactly. Just like Jamila, you know, Jamila was like yeah. totally a normal person. And it was like, what? She's yeah, like, you
2: would just build people up in your head based on what you think of them. But like truth is, they're just a human that has struggles too you know, mm-hmm. probably, and on and, and all of that stuff. I think imposter syndrome is something that I've definitely had to get comfortable with, especially working in, like, a male-dominated field and everything, and, like, people just definitely don't, like, can't rely on, like, co-workers to understand even, like... I mean, recently I was diagnosed with endometriosis, so once in a while it, like, hits real hard
1: yeah. at work,
2: and there's definitely, you know, it's something that... I think I'm still figuring out. I'm gonna yeah. listen to your um, podcast on fear of surgery. Oh, yeah. I think yay. you guys had one of that, you know, because that's that was you know, something that's about to become real relevant, and uh, uh, definitely feeling that. So yeah, excited for that one. <laughs> oh, I'm
0: excited for you to listen to it. I I had a pretty big moment with that, and um, I actually Chelsea and I recorded that episode a week after my surgery. And I was like on painkillers, like laying in my bed, trying to, rec- we were recording this episode, yep. but we kind of decided that like, it needed to be fresh in my mind. I need to myself go back and listen to it. Cause I don't remember everything I said, but
1: one thing don't that remember did- anything for those two weeks.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't, I hardly remember that whole two weeks, <laughs> but one thing that I do remember really helped me and. So maybe for those listening to this episode who haven't listened to that episode, um, I'm kind of a control freak sometimes. And, you know, one of my biggest fears about the surgery was I was like afraid of the anesthesia and I had never had general anesthesia. And then I was like afraid of what it was going to be like and the recovery. And they said the recovery was going to be so painful. And I was so afraid with everything. And I had like a moment about a week before the surgery where I just all of a sudden was like, okay, wait a second. I don't actually want to control this. I don't want to decide how much anesthesia they give me. I want the certified medical PhD professional to decide this. I don't want them to give me like a mirror and a scalpel and figure out how to do this surgery myself. You know, like I want the actual people to do it. And just realizing that helped me um, kind of like relinquish that control and just trust. And I would say that's the biggest thing that helped me with those like surgery fears. Um, and so, yeah, you'll have to listen to the episode. Thank you for sharing with our listeners that you had this Mm -hmm. recent diagnosis of endometriosis. If you're comfortable, would you share just a little bit about what that process was getting the diagnosis? And you said surgery might be in the future for you.
2: Yes. Yeah. So, um, Actually, it was, it started around the last time I was in Uganda. I was having these like really bad cramps and pains and stuff. And I thought like, I had had my IUD in already though for like a year. So I was like, mm-hmm. maybe it just like funkily got out of place, mm-hmm. you know, moved or something. I'm not really sure, but it started to get worse and worse. Like the more active I was too, like going on a run or the more stressed I was. Uh, it would like, it just a pain on my left side, like a period cramp, but worse. Um, and, and it got to the point where I like had to stop, I would have to stop walking, you know, if it just like hit, you know, I'd be like, Oh man, that hurts. So I went to the gynecologist and they, uh, you know, I thought, I was like, can you check my IUD is basically what I said. I was like, I think it like went kitty or something. Can you just like mm-hmm. make sure it's straight in there? And Uh, then he was like, okay, sure. And then took it and he was like, oh, we have to do an ultrasound. And it was like, okay, went through that whole process. And then he's like, so, I mean, like he asked me a series of questions too, like, uh, how's like, you know, your, uh, like digestion been. And I'm like really bad actually, but that seems separate than my IUD. (laughs) I'm just like, you know, I actually like went to go see a GI specialist like two months prior to that appointment because I just thought, I don't know, like, with age my digestion was getting worse you know and was like uh working on that totally thought it was separate and then he was like no i i think you have endometriosis you're like definitely meeting all of the requirements for that and i was like well shoot like how do i deal with that and and he was like well basically you can't um and and and, like, I mean, you can like try and mitigate, but there's no like medicine you can take. Just once the pain gets bad enough, we'll have to send you to surgery. In my mind, after that it was kind of rough because I'm super scared of surgery, but the pain, like, I actually just scheduled it. Oh, yeah. A couple days ago. Mm-hmm. So it's going to happen within the next couple months, but I waited as long as I could, like a year maybe mm-hmm. of. You know, like a year of going on a run and then having it flare up and having to stop or like being at work, being on the floor, which is like, you know, um, when I'm on the floor at work, I'm in a bunny suit. I'm in like full, you can only see my eyes, you know, because that's like how we work on the telescope and everything. Um, And I'll be just on my feet for like a while um, and it'll flare up and I feel like I have to keel over. I feel like I just want to curl up into a ball. Mm-hmm. Which I obviously can't do and have to, like, excuse myself from the floor. So now it's, like, starting to affect my job a little bit. And I was like, I just can't be scared of surgery anymore. I just have mm-hmm. to do it because I think it's going to be, like, at this point, a huge improvement in quality of life. If I can just not have to worry about that, like, little yeah. pain that's kind of always in my abdomen.
0: Mhm. Gosh. Thank you so much for sharing that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, Katie Howland of the Change Changemakers has endometriosis too. And I, we, we are talking to her in like a week or two. And so I don't know exactly if she's had surgery for her endo yet or not, or if she might have scheduled it. I almost want to say she may have scheduled, she had an appointment like recently. Yeah. So definitely reach out to her too. Um, and maybe that might be a nice connection for you to have but I do appreciate you sharing that it's and it's kind of nice that your doctor like was like, I think you have endometriosis that he like listened and, you know, looked at the stuff because so many of the stories that we have with these interviews are just doctor after doctor after doctor. And then finally someone, you know, is like, yeah, you have endometriosis. So I'm at least like glad that it sounds like you have a good doctor. And, um, I really hope the surgery goes well for you and especially because I can't imagine yeah being in all of that gear that you have to wear and you know you're in such a I would think like demanding job and so um I can understand especially like you don't want it to affect your work.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah yeah in Mm -hmm. general I mean like I definitely, I appreciate my doctor very much. I guess, like, the, the one moment where I did feel quite alone about it, though, was, like, after he told me the diagnosis, I was, like, kind of surprised about how little information I got after that. Yeah. <laughs> like, he, he handed me a sheet of what that meant, you know, because I didn't even know what that meant, right? And it was, like, yeah. one sheet with, like, literally two lines of text on it. Yeah, and Was like, this is so unhelpful. And then that's when I, you know, obviously, I just started doing my own research about what does that mean? Like, mm-hmm. d- if I change my diet, does it go away? You know, mm-hmm. like, not really, really sure at all what it meant. And that part was like, Whoa, what? Yeah who do I talk to about this? And and what? And fi- and it turns out actually that like I had a cousin also that had it or whatever, but it's just one of those things that you definitely don't know either, like who's gone through it.
0: And- exactly. Yeah. And, and it's so interesting that you say that too, like you get no information because that's also what we hear when we talk with people is that they're given this diagnosis and then they're kind of like sent on their way. And it's just like, what the F? You know, I, you just gave me like, <laughs> yeah. What am I supposed to do with this? Exactly. And um, one of our like one of our missions, Chelsea and I, with our business and nonprofit and what we applied with Airy with and everything is, um, one of our one of our dreams is that we really want to have like a giant team of chronically ill or dis- disabled chronic conditions people so that they can have a wonderful company to work for with flexible hours and where we like, I don't know, they can be themselves. Like that's a really important thing. And so hopefully we can go global so that we have to hire thousands and thousands of people like that. (laughs) You know, that would be like amazing. But the second thing is we really want to change. um, Well, not the second, but part of our things, one of the things we want to change is how the healthcare system is done. And this being one of them, like when you get a diagnosis, what information are you given? we want to change that so that you are given more and better information. And also going into those appointments, um, we had this talk with uh, Paulina last week and she was telling us she's, she's been in the healthcare system in the UK and now in Germany and the place she went to in Germany for her rheumatoid arthritis, their intake form was so different than anywhere else she'd been. Like if it's, you know, in the U S it's like, you have the stick figure, circle your pain. Where do you have pain? You know, Um, But this intake, right? (laughs) Yeah. We all know what that looks like. You know, you just want to circle the entire figure. (laughs) But yeah, but in Germany um, on this intake form that she had at this uh, orthopedic doctor was um, asking questions like when you run to the bus to catch the bus, can you run to the bus at all first? Then can you run to the bus like with minimal pain or do you get a lot of pain or, you know, can you run to the bus just fine? Or like lifting boxes at home or laundry, you know, can you lift your laundry? Do you lift it with pain? I mean, really like asking what someone's daily life is like. And I mean, I think that's just genius and what we need. And so we do want to help impact and change the way that the whole healthcare system is done to, um, Help people feel more heard and advocate for themselves more easily within the healthcare system, and then have more support with getting a diagnosis or or on their journey to getting a diagnosis. I
1: should say,
2: right, right, and right, Chelsea. <laughs>
1: yep. <laughs> so, Mary, right. you okay. are very busy, yes. and <laughs> um. So, how do you manage juggling working for NASA, doing everything you do with a Tuero, and then now having endometriosis to deal with on top of that?
2: <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes it's hard. I spend most of my free time that's not at work on a Tuero. And
0: so... Now there's a crow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah! Yeah! <laughs>
2: Uh, I spend like most of my free time that's not at work working on a Tuero And I think that's like a routine that I've gotten into. Um, I think the main way that I make sure I'm productive in that sense is to do, is to like set goals for myself, weekly goals and everything. So, and it's, it's good. Like, I mean, I'm sure you guys know too. It's also very nice to have somebody that you work on the project with, Cause that like kind of helps you hold each other accountable. And um, if I'm having a really like horrible week at work or whatever, there's still somebody who's working, you know, on a twerro. It's it's myself, Harry and Margaret too. Who's like boots on the ground for us over there doing, mm-hmm. doing whatever we, we need. And um, that front too. So, I mean, uh, I guess it's easy if you're passionate about, about the two, like, I'm very passionate about the James Webb Space Telescope launching, hopefully one year from yesterday. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I guess like, you know, when, when you're passionate about something, it's like kind of exciting to sit down mm-hmm. and work on it, even if you're tired. <laughs> and the endometriosis is definitely something that um, has affected me the most, like recently in these past few months, which have been incredibly difficult like to uh, when it and it's luckily for for me I think like some people I think experience it different um but for me it'll be like 20 minutes of excruciating pain and then it'll kind of go like slowly go away and it'll be like manageable for the rest of the day so like um when it kicks in, I'm just like, okay, so for 20 minutes, we're going to take a break. <laughs> yeah. You know, whenever, whenever it decides to happen, I'm just like, now is break time. And I'm not even going to like worry about like, hold myself accountable for anything for these, t- like this 20 minutes is going to be like, okay, my body needs a second to feel better. We'll just do it and then get rolling.
0: You know. Oh, good for you. Giving I yourself love that, that you permission. Just,
1: yeah. That giving yourself permission of like, okay, I just, I need a break right now. I think that's huge because I don't think we're always very good at giving ourselves permission, especially when you are passionate about what you're doing for work, for your job, but you're also passionate about what you're doing for your side project with a Tuero. I mean, it can be so easy to be like, well, I, I, I want to do more. I want to do more. I want to mm-hmm. do more. So just giving yourself permission to just do whatever you need to do is huge.
2: Right. Right. That's definitely a big one. Cause like, I mean, it definitely, I've burnt out before too. Like, Mm -hmm. or just the feeling of being like you know what wouldn't life be so much easier if I wasn't passionate about these things Uh (laughs) like I could just not have to worry about it at all but that feeling lasts for like you know an hour yeah like okay all right we got to get got to get back to it because there's a lot to do and that's why goal setting is so important because like for me i also know you know once you get pretty good about estimating how long things take you know and you can say like okay well i only have 10 hours this week to work on a Tuero. Mm-hmm. so realistically these are the things that i want to get done in those 10 hours and once that's done i feel accomplished and i am a lot like i allow myself to stop which is also you know important you know hey i yeah. got to where i wanted to be we're you know we're good um now's the time to like, take a break, make sure that you are there so that next week you can meet your goals. Right. Yeah,
0: yeah. exactly. I love that too.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Before we wrap up, um, can you share how you came up with the name, Atuero and what it means?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. A tuero means I can, or the person who can, um, in, in Lua, which is the uh language that they speak in the rural area that we work at mainly in uganda
0: oh i love that i'm so
2: glad i asked (laughs) yes yeah it means like i am able or
0: oh wow i love it i love that too that's a beautiful name because i i have been curious about that um since the very beginning when we all interacted as change makers and i hadn't i hadn't heard the explanation at least not yet so thank you for sharing that
2: oh, i appreciate i appreciate you asking for sure i should explain that more probably
1: <laughs> it's really pretty it's so beautiful <laughs> yeah yeah
2: mm-hmm. i know that like you know so for for yeah definitely americans maybe not as ex- like self-explanatory but for where we're working you know everyone sees that and it's like oh okay yeah. i am yeah. able and they you know disability um awareness
0: yeah that's amazing i mean that's just perfect it's wonderful
2: Yeah. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: If our Mm -hmm. listeners want to connect with you, as I'm sure they will, where can they find you on the internet?
2: You can find us at atuero.org. That's our official website. Lots of extra information there too. We have a, Whole video on Margaret's story. Um, oh, cool. She was actually recently, the European Union did a video on her and she was honored as a human rights defender. So we have that oh, video. God. Check it out. She's amazing. Um, can't talk about her. And now she's like really the inspiration behind the project. And uh, yeah, and then we also have an Instagram. You can look up Atuero Uganda. We're there.
0: Perfect. So
1: I'm so glad.
2: Getting I'm s- uh familiar with social media
1: so <laughs> yeah right it's yeah. it's its own yeah. world i feel like you never get used to it <laughs> i know mm-hmm.
2: i know i understand why people get paid a lot i know
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah for reals gosh yeah. thank you so much yeah, for coming on really. and chatting this was amazing i i loved this conversation i feel like rejuvenated from this conversation which always happens when we work on our stuff chelsea and i yep. yeah We're this like- is
2: awesome it's like definitely energetic you know it gives me mm-hmm. like new new energy to go keep working
0: exactly it's like you said when you're doing something that you're passionate about you don't notice necessarily how the energy is like being used it's more being recharged at least yeah. for me yeah
2: absolutely mm-hmm. well thank you maylee thanks guys yeah have a good rest of your day Appreciate it. Mm-hmm.
0: Thanks for listening. If you love this podcast and want to show your support, please leave a review, share the podcast with others, or join us in the Spoonie Hub.
1: If you'd like to connect with Cassie and I, you can find us on Instagram at The Real Spoonies Unite or on our website, mywellnesshub.co, where you can find all sorts of resources and you can find the Spoonie Hub. Talk to you soon.